Good morning. I come to you without having had a surgery between our visits with you. We've been looking forward once again to come and to share with you. Words are very appropriate this morning. As we prepare for the Lord's table, I would like to visit with you this morning by thanking God for the Lamb. I was reared in a rather humble home. We didn't have much. Our needs, though, were met. My folks both worked, like probably many of yours did. They uh, would be considered probably a a blue-class family. But uh, they taught us manners From just a little kid, I I don't know what brought it to them, considering some of their backgrounds, but uh, I was taught to stand for an older person when they came in the room. If I was in their chair, I gave them mine. I was speaking in the Upper Peninsula in a home, a church, and I had the little boy's room. And they homeschooled and had two dogs. And I came down one morning, and they were homeschooling. And the dog had the last chair. So I just stood there and watched what they were watching on TV, you know. And Man, my dad would have cracked me up beside the side of the head. Couldn't have my elbows on the table when I was eating. If I were to take a girl out for a walk, I had to be between her and the street. Just in case I got hit by a car, I would go first. I was taught not to interrupt when someone was talking. Uh, and of course, at the earliest age possible, we were taught to say, please and thank you. I don't know how many Millions of times I've said thank you. The word thank you simply means that you're grateful. Anne and I have been grateful for so many things. And so the words of these songs that we have been singing, I hope, will remind you that we need to thank God for the Lamb. There's a memorial to a crushed lamb on a little Roman Catholic church located in the small village of Weirden, Germany. And uh, history tells us that several years ago there were some workmen that were building the roof. One of them, the safety belt released, he fell off the roof to the ground. The other workmen as quickly as they could, slipped to the ground, scrambled to the site where this man had fallen, and they really expected him to be seriously injured or maybe dead. And when they found him, to their amazement, he was unhurt. A lamb grazing below had broken his fall, but was crushed in the process. And so the worker was so grateful that he made an image of the lamb in stone and placed it on the building as a memorial 
to the crushed lamb who had sacrificed his life for him. That's a true story. You can find it if you want to dig on the internet. Well, this morning, as we come to the Lord's table, we are viewing symbolically here a memorial to a crushed lamb, because Jesus Christ is the lamb who broke our fall towards spiritual death by being a sacrifice for our sins. Usually every month we will honor the Lord's table. I always feared as a pastor that it might become habitual and not have meaning. It should. It was always special for me, and I think I prayed extra during this time that my heart would be clean as I would come. And when he said, do in remembrance of me, that that's exactly what I would do. And so as we come to the Lord's table today, we're viewing symbolically a memorial to a crushed lamb. In John 1.29, John the Baptist was engaged with conversation with some of his disciples, when suddenly he cried, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Thank God for that Lamb. And as we prepare our hearts this morning to come to this table, I would like us to take a brief bird's eye view of the Lamb as we follow redemption's story through the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation and hopefully with greater gratitude, thank God for the Lamb. Wow, Genesis to Revelation. Oh, we'll be done by supper time, I promise. Our Father, thank you for bringing us to the house of God today and reminding us about the Lamb. We are thankful for the price that was paid for us. Thank you, Father for redeeming us. And I would pray that in this little time together, you would make us aware afresh of the tremendous price that was paid and that we will always be grateful for that lamb that was crushed for us. And we'll be sure to thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's notice, first of all, Adam's Abel's lamb, I'm sorry, Abel's lamb, where here we see in Genesis 4, 1 through 5, one lamb for one man. Genesis 4, 1, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I've acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the first fruit of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Hebrews 11.4, let me read it to you. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained a witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. Now, Hebrews 11.4 makes it very clear 
that Abel's sacrifice was more acceptable than Cain's. They both grew up in the same home. They were both taught correctly, I'm sure, about how to worship God. They were taught what pleased God. Uh, They were taught that sin was offensive to God. But one did right and the other did wrong. This is really hard sometimes for Christian parents to understand, but it's been going on since the beginning of time. You rear all of your children in the same environment, but for some reason, one seems to want to go his own way. We call them prodigal children. God had prodigal children. Adam and Eve were prodigal. Oh, how times were uh, the children of Israel prodigal children. I've been in the homes of so many pastors and missionaries over the years where they've shared their stories, and we've been able to share some of our stories also, but the heartache uh, that it brings when there's one that goes away from God, I don't think it was any different with Adam and Eve. Cain's offering was a good one. He brought the best of his fruit. I'm sure that it looked much more beautiful than Abel's dead, bloody little lamb. As Cain placed the sacrificial gift on the altar, I think that he probably became the first one to ever think or maybe say, I'm doing my best. It took a lot of work to till the ground, plant the seed, hoe the weeds, water the crop, Probably had drowned hogs and rabbits in those days, too, that would seek to destroy. But uh, as Cain's offering was a good one, it wasn't the one God wanted. And so as Cain placed his sacrificial gift on the altar, he probably said, I'm doing my best. And I'm sure that he was, often on the golf course. When others would make fun of me, hey, I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best. Cain's sacrifice was unacceptable because it was the work of his hands, but God wants the worship of the heart. He had received the same instructions on how to worship God, but he thought that he could do it a better way. He was an open and defiant sinner. It's simple. Abel listened. Cain did not. Happens all the time. It could be happening right here this morning. Even though you're in church doesn't mean that you're always following what God wants you to do. You know you should do this. God has said it. You've been taught it. You understand it. But maybe uh, you're thinking, I have a better way right now. You know, we have so many false religions today because they thought that they could do it a better way. The brief epistle of Jude says they've gone in the way of Cain. I remember R.C. Sproul saying once that he was thankful that salvation is by good works. And my, that bothered me. And he had paused and then he went on to say, not mine, but the Savior's. And that's true. Abel listened well. He obeyed well. There had to be shedding of blood before the forgiveness of sin could be received. 
And that day, looking over the field, Abel finally spots just the right little lamb, the very best of the bunch. And he goes over to that little lamb, and I can almost see him picking up that little lamb, maybe rocking him even in his arms, maybe even calling him by name because the true shepherd will know his sheep by name. And as that trusting little lamb looked up into the eyes of his master, Abel took his knife, gently put it to his throat, and I'm sure with a sob in his heart watched it die. It was painful, but he knew it was right. And in my mind's eye, I can almost see him place that lifeless, bloody form on the altar to offer up to God with tears running down his cheeks. It was a dreadful way to approach God. But you see, sin is a dreadful thing. Abel understood that another had to die in his stead. He picked up on that. And, oh, we think sometimes so lightly of sin. Maybe you haven't even thought about sin this past week. But it's all around us. It abounds. It abounds about us. Now, in a sense, Abel was looking ahead to Calvary. He believed God And it was counted unto him for righteousness. The highway to the cross was being established as we see this very first instance. It began with one lamb for one man. And we should thank God for the lamb. But next we come to the Passover lamb, where we have one lamb for one household in Exodus chapter 12. Let me read in Exodus 12, verses 3 through 7, and then 12 through 14, just to give you a picture here. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father. Notice here, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall assemble. Now you uh, shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Verse 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, Both man and beast and against all the gods of Israel, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Now, here we see that God 
is not only interested in individuals, he's also interested in families. You can see that throughout the scriptures if you study it carefully. With Abel, it was one lamb for one man. Here we have one lamb for a household. And on that frightful night, there could be no deliverance without the blood of the lamb. Jehovah himself must see the blood when he passed over the house. Can't imagine the sights and sounds that must have been seen and heard on that horrible night in history for all the Egyptian families that had children in their homes. From Pharaoh's palace to the pulper in prison, none like it since the firstborn of children and the firstborn of cattle had to die. Now I'm sure that most of the Egyptians were good people. They just had a bad leader. Exodus 12.30 says, So the Pharaoh rose in the night, he, all his servants, and all the Egyptians. There was a great cry in Egypt, and there was not a house where there was not one dead. In the early 50s, in the little town of Allegan where I grew up, An epidemic of polio hit several families and also several of my classmates. I was maybe sixth grade, seventh grade. Tears flowed, dreams vanished, and anxiety and fear spread throughout the community. I can't imagine what it must have been like that night in Egypt. When I was in the sixth grade, I had two paper routes. I had one in the morning and I had one at night after school. Didn't make much, but boy, it was money. But in those days in our town, there was a little custom, too. And maybe you had it where you grew up. But if someone passed away in those days, it wasn't uncommon for the funeral to be in the home. Or the the casket would be in the home. And there would be what we called a death wreath out on the door. And I remember times riding my bike by, throwing a paper, and hearing the crying that was going on inside. You know, death is a terrible thing, especially the death of a loved one. And with the Passover lamb, the highway to the cross now was becoming more clear for the believer. Uh, Only the blood of the lamb can deliver from the pain of death. Just as Jesus today sees us covered by the blood because we've been to the cross. At the funeral home, Christians sorrow today, but not without hope. The pain of death is softened by the lamb that was crushed. I like what Thomas Watson the Puritan said when we think about what heaven is going to be like. He says that heaven is such a happy place the angels wouldn't wish to leave it for a minute. Well, we have that hope. The Egyptians didn't have it. Many... Funerals that I have had to officiate over the years where people were not believers, they didn't have that hope. We have the privilege of singing, stepping on shore, finding at heaven, of taking a hand 
and finding it God's uh, breathing new air and finding it celestial, waking up in glory and finding it home. No more night, no more pain, no more tears, never crying again and praises to the great I am. We will live in the light. Live in the light of the risen Lamb. What a day that's going to be. Well, the Passover was to become a remembrance. Israel looked back to the deliverance from death by the blood of the, on the doorpost. And at the Lord's table, we look back to the deliverance from our sins by the crushed Lamb of Calvary. So I thank God for the Lamb that crushed lamb, and now the highway to the cross was continuing to be paved as we move through the scriptures. It began with one lamb for one man, and here we have one lamb for a household. But then there was the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement. One lamb for one nation. We read about it in Leviticus 6. I'm sure you probably read about it yesterday. Uh, Leviticus is a book that we just run to. We can't wait to read it. Isn't that right? Well, it is defined for us in Leviticus chapter 16 and uh, Numbers 29. I'm just going to read some verses from Numbers 29, verses 7 through 11. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall afflict your souls, you shall not do any work. You shall present a burnt offering to the Lord as a sweet aroma, one young bull, one ram, seven lambs in their first year. Be sure they're without blemish. Their grain offering shall be a fine flour mixed with oil. Three-tenths of an ephah for the bull, two-tenths for the one ram, and one-tenth for each of the seven lambs. Also one kid of the goats as a sin offering. Because besides the sin offering for atonement, the regular burnt offering with its grain offering and their drink offerings. Now, the Day of Atonement was the most solemn day of the entire year when the high priest, as you know, would enter into the Holy of Holies to make annual atonement for the sins of the people. Not just one man, not just a household, but this was for the whole nation of Israel. And as we progress through the Old Testament history, uh, we now see that God is not only interested in individuals and households but, and families, but he's also interested in nations of people. Isaiah 66, 18. I know their works and their thoughts, it shall be that I will gather all nations and tongues and they shall come and see my glory. And in all the instances, the lamb must be slain and his blood offered upon the altar for forgiveness to be received. So you see the pattern from the very beginning, the importance of the shed blood of the lamb. So the highway to the cross is continuing to be paved with blood, the blood of a helpless, spotless lamb. And we have to thank God for the lamb. And now we come to the crushed lamb in the New Testament where we have Calvary's lamb. One lamb sufficient for all people. 
Actually, we have to read about it in the Old Testament. Isaiah 53, Isaiah 52, and of course the verse I shared with you earlier in John 1:29. Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. But it's prophesied in the Old Testament. For example, Isaiah 52, verse 14. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. Here we see the lamb on Calvary, and he was unrecognizable. In Isaiah 53, 1, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. We did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, he opened not his mouth. Verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He put him to grief. And then when you come into the New Testament, what we have just read about was expressed by John. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Here he's confirming Isaiah's prophecy. First it was a lamb for one man, then a household and a nation, and now the shed blood of the sacrificial lamb is sufficient for all who will come. Jew and Gentile alike. This was a huge statement and did not set well with Israel. Now the gateway to heaven was open not only to Israel, but to all who would come. This brings us to one last glimpse of the Lamb. And this is heaven's Lamb. We find it in Revelation. Stay with me, for here we see the crushed lamb in all of his glory. The lamb is referenced 31 times in the New Testament, all in reference to Christ. And 27 of those 31 times, we find it mentioned in the book of Revelation. I just want to make a statement and then quote a few verses from Revelation for you. For we see, first of all, in Revelation 5, 6 and 7, there the Lamb will be worthy and will be praised throughout all of eternity. And John said, I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a Lamb as though it had been slain. 
Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Verse 13. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth, under the earth, such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And there the Lamb will hold the book of life, bearing the names of the redeemed. Revelation 13, 8. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Revelation 21, verse 27. But there shall by no means enter it yet anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And there in heaven, there the Lamb will be the overcomer. In Revelation 17, 14, These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. For he is the Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called, chosen, and are faithful. And there in heaven... The Lamb will be also the focus of the marriage supper of the Lamb in chapter 19, verses 7 through 9. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And there in the heavens, the Lamb will replace the temple. He will replace the tabernacle. He will replace the church. He will be the only light. He will replace... The sun, the moon, the stars, and Revelation 21, 22, and 23, but I saw no temple in it. That was very, very important in the Old Testament. The temple, this was going to be the abiding place of God. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And there in heaven, there the Lamb will receive also his rightful place, his rightful place alongside the Father. In Revelation 22, verses 1 through 3, he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. You have to be washed in the blood of this lamb if you're going to get to heaven. I hear today people talk about being Christians, but I hear very little about repentance and being washed in the blood of the lamb. 
Now, in that day, if I had fallen off the roof of that little church in Germany and my life had been spared by a grazing lamb, I think I would have erected a monument to him too. Raising a monument really was the only way that grateful worker could say thank you to the crushed lamb that had died in his place. And no doubt he proclaimed it near and far also. I'm sure that wherever he went, he told the story about the little crushed lamb that had saved his life. I want to remind you that when we come to the table this morning, it is also a memorial to a crushed lamb. And we are... to proclaim the story of this lamb that has saved us from the penalty of sin. In fact, that little word proclaim in 1 Corinthians 11.26 could also be translated to tell or to preach. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do preach the Lord's death till he comes. So there's also a missional value to this meal. So in a sense this morning, we're all preachers when we come to this table. But don't come if you can't preach well. We call it the Lord's table because it is for those who can call him Lord. And you know this morning, I'm sure you know, if Jesus is Lord of your life. You can settle that even before we come to the table. You can recognize, first of all, if you're not a believer, that this Jesus went to the cross for you. He's made available for you not only a glorious transformation in your life through grace, but a wonderful provision for glory someday that you can be with him and you'll see this lamb who gave himself for us. You might be a believer, but it hasn't been important to you. Shame on you. To be a believer in Jesus Christ and not to be a a preacher, a proclaimer, Most of us have gone through some struggles. Oh, I have in my early days. But I recognize that one time when I came to the Lord and I had to say, here's my life, no arguments. It was a great, great time that I finally said that. So don't take this table lightly. It's the Lord's table. And we must be able to to call him Lord, and for sure when we come, let's be thankful for the Lamb. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the clarity of Scripture and the importance even in Abel's day to bring a sacrificial lamb to worship. Just a symbol. But then that symbol carried over 
into the household. It carried over into the nations. As we come into the New Testament, the cry, the cry of John, the Lord Jesus Christ, there on the cross, being our crushed lamb, in obedience, faithful obedience to his God. We see many people carrying crosses around their neck or maybe tattooed on their arms, but not recognizing he was the one who came to give them life. So this morning, as we gather for this memorable occasion, we do it in remembrance of you. And we do it with thankful hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.